You know, 125 years is a long time to be thinking about something. And it's a long time for you to change your mind about something as well. For 125 years, we've been wrestling with this idea of self-esteem. And it seems like in all of our struggles, we've made a complete about face with how we look at self-esteem. Back in 1890, William James first defined self-esteem as the ratio of our success divided by our expectations. The equation was quite simple. The more we succeeded at our goals, the more self-esteem we had. If we failed more, our self-esteem declined. Maybe that's behind the thought that we've had that that's why you always aim low, right? So you're never disappointed and you never have to deal with that. But the idea was you did something, you did enough of it, and that is what built up your self-esteem. You can hear that in, for example, some of the comments from, oh, one of the greatest quote givers ever on the face of the planet, Muhammad Ali. Guy had some quotes, didn't he? I didn't wrestle with an alligator. I didn't tussle with a whale. Only last week I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. He could say that. He could believe it because up to that point, he had already done some good things to make him feel confident about himself. But today, our struggle with self-esteem is a little different. Actually, the way we handle self-esteem is we actually create it first in ourselves. We get ourselves pumped up. We tell ourselves to believe in what we can do, believe in what we're going to be able to. We teach our children, you can do anything you want to do. We've completely changed it. We build ourselves up in order to believe that we can do the things We want to do. And it seems like maybe even Muhammad Ali struggled with that. He said, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. (laughs) I figured that if I said it enough, I would convince the world that I really was the greatest. Now you may be surprised. Maybe you're not surprised that there are many psychologists who are worried about the turn that we've taken when it comes to how we look at self-esteem. Because In part, it seems to focus a whole lot on our success. And it looks like it tries its best to ignore failure. And that it may be setting us up for a hard fall when failure does happen. Because I don't know if you know this about life. You will fail sometime. Some of us might even be failing right now. Now, I say all that so I can say this. I wonder if we are running the risk of thinking that God is in line with our newfound vision of self-esteem. As if to say God is the old fisherman, the commercial with the with the dollar bill on the on the on the the reel there. And we're just there trying to get it. God just saying, if you just reach a little bit further. If you just think a little bit better of yourself, you'll be okay. That God is saying you just have to believe in yourself a little more because that's what I said. And friends, that is never what God said. 
God never said, if you just believe in yourself a little more, I'll love you a little more. God said, you are worthy to me because you've got your act together. No, God never said that. God never said, if you want more blessing, then you've got to be better. But that's what we believe. That's what our understanding of self-esteem has taught us. And we've eventually taken that idea back to God. And people ask me every once in a while, well, John, how come you don't like my favorite TV preacher? Tell you why. Because I've watched too much, I've read and I've heard too much to know that success sales. And too often we hear from the church that all you got to do is believe in yourself. Wrap a little Jesus with that and you've got instant success. And I just need to tell you, friends, that has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God knows that in life there will be success and there will be failure. That looks like both to a lot of people at the same time. God isn't worried about how much you succeed so that he can love you more. He isn't worried about how well you're doing so that he can think of you more highly. We have got to get this idea out of our mind that we just need to think better of ourselves. We don't need to think better of ourselves. We just need to go back to what we were told at the very beginning. After God went through creation, said, you know what, let's let's create these people. And let's create them in our image. Repeat after me, please. We are created in the image of God. What better thing is there for you to be able to say about yourself? You and I created in the image of God. Because of that, we will succeed. And because of that, at times, we will fail as well. And in some of the failure I want us to think about today, it's easy to praise God in success. Sometimes it's hard to figure out what to do when we're failing or when we feel like we're about to fail. See, God had this conversation with Abram said, hey, man, I got a plan. It's going to be great. You are going to be the father of many nations. The whole world is going to be blessed because of you. And you got to think that Abram's thinking, oh, this sounds like a good gig. I can handle this. People are going to look to me as the one who blessed them. People are going to sing songs after me. Father Abraham, as many. Not quite sure how that praises the Lord, but whatever. They're going to do this. It's going to be a great thing. And God says, what's going to happen is your wife is going to have a baby to start it off. That would be what we call an epic fail. Because, God, look, maybe you don't remember, I'm 99. And I'm not allowed to say how old she is, but she's not far behind me. And you know, you know how this stuff works. Pay attention to this. Abraham's sense of impending failure didn't change God's mind. God didn't say, oh, you know what, <laughs> you're right. I didn't realize you were 99. Um, let me come up with something different. No, here it is. This is who you are. And this is who I've created you 
to be. Jesus had been speaking and he started to talk about what was about to happen to him, the suffering he would have to endure. We're told that he said this quite openly. In other words, he wasn't just talking to his disciples. He wanted to make sure that all y'all heard as well. And well, you know the story, right? Peter gets a little uncomfortable. Wait a minute, Jesus. Hey, come here for a second, man. You need to slow down with all that talk. People are listening. Maybe you need to take a day off. Have you taken your Sabbath? You're talking crazy talk, man. Don't talk like that. What's wrong with you? We're not about suffering. We're about good things. We're about the kingdom of God. We're about success. And Jesus says those words we've all heard. Get behind me, Satan. Was that a failure moment for Peter? I think so. But sisters and brothers, I think that we can thank God. Because the God we serve in the midst of our failures and disobedience and unfaithfulness says, get behind me. But he doesn't say, get away from me. That's how the psalmist felt at once. You know, you know, the opening lines of Psalm 22. It's the words that Jesus have has on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist felt like he was alone, felt like he had been abandoned by God. Felt like his life had failed. But there's something else he learned. That God could be trusted. That God should be trusted. That God's name should be lifted up. And that there was power in a life that follows after God. And I want you to understand that whatever the psalmist was going through, whatever great failure he had in his life, Once he decides that he has turned around, once he figures out that trusting God is what he needs to do, he is talking about a very active kind of life. A life full of praise, a life for glorification, a life that stands in awe, a life that is seeking God, a life that is praising, a life that is giving vows before the congregation, a life that is seeking a heart that is living, a mind that is remembering, a life that is turning, a heart that is bowing, and a faith that is proclaiming. Whatever failure the psalmist had, he understood finally that that did not take away from his position before God. That in fact, God was still there. And I need you to hear me, friends, this morning. I think God rejoices in our successes. Most of them. And God is still there even in our failures. You aren't loved any less. The cross has, doesn't have just less meaning when you fail. It just means you failed. You aren't turned away from the Savior. Maybe you're told just to get behind me again and pay closer attention to where I'm leading you. And where our Lord is leading us today, 
is to the table of grace. And may that be enough for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.